Okay, y'all, we're done with Job. Uh, It's over. Sorry if you missed it. That was last week. We're done. We're now in a new series that we're beginning today. Uh, During our time with Job, uh, we were forced uh, to deal with Job's friends for 33 long chapters, three major speech cycles of having to interact with them. Job's friends gave us many, many moments of asking, really? (laughs) Really? Did you just say that? Did you just do that? Right? We had many of those kind of moments. It's impossible to read the book of Job and not deal with the nature of friendship. You just can't do it. Uh, you have to ask yourself throughout the book of Job because the friends are one of the major components of the book of Job. We have to ask ourselves, as we did, what is friendship? Is this friendship? Uh, and some of us probably thought, if this is friendship, I don't want any friends, right? Um, what is real friendship? So the book of Job taught us uh, through this past year that friendship has a power to it. There's power in friendship. Friendship um, shapes and uh, structures and moves and leaves its fingerprints on our lives. Uh, Friendship has the power to shape suffering and pain. Friendship can bring comfort to those who are in suffering and pain. And a type of friendship can also produce additional pain amidst suffering and pain. Friendship has the power, as we saw in Job, to restructure or to um, shape a relationship with God. Uh, It has the power, friendship, to communicate and embody truth about God and how to live, real wisdom. But it also has the uh, power to communicate and embody lies about God, which can be very, very destructive, right, in all areas of life. So friendship has the power to shape lives. It can make us... Uh, into our future selves. It can encourage that. It can make us more human and more holy and more happy, our true selves, but it can also uh, make us our fallen selves. It can produce corruption and more uh, unraveling our inhumanity. So friendship is a big deal to God. So we're going to spend three weeks trying to figure friendship out. That's what we're going to do. How not to be Job's friends or how to be a real friend. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at some passages in Proverbs, and I'm going to grab the bulletin. Uh, we're going to look at friendship stated positively in the first two. So if we look at your texts, Proverbs 17:17, 17, 17, I'm going to read first. You see that? It's the second one down. A friend loves... Let's stand for the hearing of God's word. Seventeen, seventeen. a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. All right, let's look at 1824. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, 19, four, six, and seven. Uh, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. So many seek the favor of a generous man, And everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him, 
How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, uh, but does not have them, meaning that he tries to tell them about the one, the friend tries to tell his friends about his suffering and what's going on in his pain, but they won't have anything to do with him. The last one at the top. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. All right, this is the word of the Lord. All right, let's take your seats. So, oh Lord, we ask that uh, you would teach us about friendship. We ask that you would open our eyes, uh, you would work in our hearts, uh, that you would give clarity, shine on the page, but you would uh, make it real to our hearts. And so, Lord, we thank you for the different places and the different literary buckets of your word that carry the riches and the, the wealth and the meaning of your word. And so, Lord, we thank you for Proverbs. We thank you for the book of Job. Uh, we ask that you would help us now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's the plan. We're first going to do uh, the starting point of friendship. In other words, what's the basis? What's the grounds of friendship? And here's what we're going to find. We're going to find that friendship is inescapable. That's what I want us to see. That's what the text is going to want us to see. So we're going to start friendship. Where is its starting point? And we're going to come to the conclusion that friendship is inescapable, which means you can't opt out of friendship. Uh, we will either be good friends or bad friends. There's no such thing as a non-friend. doesn't exist. That's what we're going to find out. Uh, then we're going to look at the three marks, or look at three marks. There might be more, but I, I think we've gathered from Proverbs and from the wealth of Scripture three major marks. And there's probably subheadings and, and Roman numeral ones and A's and B's and all that that can go out of these things, but there are three major marks. And we're going to look at one today and then two the following weeks ahead. Uh, and we're going to spend a lot of time in Proverbs because Proverbs spends a lot of time defining and describing friendship. Okay? Why does Proverbs do this? Because Proverbs is wisdom literature. Or it describes the art of living well. Remember, Job is also wisdom literature. So remember, there are different genres. There are different literary buckets that carry the water of the word. You have poetry. You have propositions. What would be propositions? Colossians, Ephesians, Paul's letters, many of the letters, a lot of the New Testament. But you also have story, which is a bucket that carries the meaning of the word. Like the Gospels, most of the Old Testament. Well, there's a bucket called wisdom literature. And Job is one of those buckets. And so is Proverbs. Um, what is it? Well, Job, we saw, was wisdom in reverse. It was wisdom when life doesn't go well. Wisdom amidst suffering and amidst pain. Well, Proverbs is mostly about wisdom in gear. Uh, wisdom when things are going well. Wisdom when it's supposed to be this way. Okay? So, let's look at the starting point. Are you ready? What's the starting point of friendship? Where do we start? Because we're going to prove that friendship's inescapable. Uh, but some of us are thinking, but what if I'm very independent? How can friendship still be inescapable? You know, I'm the type A type. 
I'm the driven, hard, charger type. What does friendship look like for me? How can it be inescapable for me? Others of us are thinking, but what if I'm an introvert and not an extrovert? I mean, I get my energy and I get energized being alone, not being around people. And being energized by being alone, I then go spend my energy on people. What does this have to say about me? Uh, What about if I like libraries? Shh is my favorite word, right? I mean, I can only take in small doses chaos and noise and clutter. In other words, people. What if I just don't need friendships like others seem to need friendships? You know, I just don't see, I don't know, some people seem to have friendships like they think it's marriage or something. It's clingy, it's clicky, it's codependent. Yuck, that's weird. So what about it? Well, here we go. Friendship always starts with God. God as Trinity. God is not independent. God is not an island. God is not alone. God is three in one. So God is a community. God is relational unity. God is fellowship. God is friendship of three persons. Now, some call this, and I think C.S. Lewis was the first, the dance of the Trinity. What that means is that each person in the Trinity is dancing around the other person circling around the other person. Each person in the Trinity is enjoying and deferring and loving and pleasing and honoring and glorifying and exalting the other person, not themselves. Each person in the Trinity is receiving and giving love and honor to the other person. So in Genesis, when the triune God says, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness, the triune God is hardwiring in human nature community. Friendship. Relational interdependence. So when God made man, he created a community creature that images, reflects, displays him. Three persons in community and relational unity, dancing and circling the other, exalting and loving and honoring the other. So when God made man, he made an inescapable friend. So inescapable friendship is why Genesis describes the image of God in plurality and not in pure individualness. So when it says the text in 127, so God created man, notice what he's saying, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, plurality, not pure individual. Inescapable friendship is why paradise was missing something, why it was not good, even though you had Adam in paradise with God. It still said, the text said, it's not good. Genesis 1, 
20 or 2, 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. In other words, God is saying, I will make man, Adam, a friend. Because he's not, and he was wired, and he was made for friendship. Just like the Trinity. Right? So friendship is inescapable. It's hardwired into humanness. It's designed to glorify or image who God is, the triune God. So you, you stop being a friend when you die. That's it. Otherwise, we're always a friend. We're a good one or a bad one, but we're always a friend. There is no such thing as a non-friend. They don't exist. Okay. So somehow we got to go back to what we looked at before and we got to deal with personality and we got to deal with tendencies and we got to be able to see that even within the, the hard charger type A rugged individual that that person is inescapably a friend and has the image of community and relational interdependence hardwired into them. And yes, even the person that loves libraries and loves shh, they too, we have to figure that out. And so we will in the next couple of weeks. We're going to tackle some of that stuff practically and try to figure that out and engage with it. And also learning and knowing even you as an extrovert, you that get energized by being around people, that doesn't necessarily make you a good friend. It might look like it. It might look like you're a better friend, but it can be just as self-absorbed as the person who is completely cutting themselves off in their individual independence, okay? So we're going to have to wrestle with that, but right now, you get it. We got it, right? Anybody not get this? The starting point is the triune God. So hardwired into all of us is friendship. Because the heart of the Trinity is friendship. And so that's where we start. So now we're either a good friend or a bad friend. So what's a good friend? What's real friendship? How do we not be Job's friends? Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18, 24, A friend of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The first mark of real friendship is loyalty. A friend loves at all times. Did you get this? A friend is born. A brother is born for adversity. He was made for it. Real friendship is sticky. It sticks closer than a brother. My best friend in high school is a guy named Mike Ryan. We were inseparable. You could say we were stuck together as a guy kind of way. Uh, when I ran, when we uh, played football, we ran in our, our uh, school. It was called the Power Eye. Coach Biles knows this very well. Mike was the fullback. A power eye is just like an eye. So you had a fullback and a halfback. Mike was the halfback, which means he got all the glory and all the girls. I was the fullback, which means I got all the black eyes and scared all the girls. So we, we were stacked 
And after years and years and years of practices and off-season training and games and then just being together all the time, we knew each other pretty well. So much so that when we would go through the hole together, he literally would grab the back of my jersey. And by grabbing the back of my jersey, I could tell which way he was looking, which way he thought he was going to cut. I could tell his vision of the field by the way he was pressuring the back of my jersey, particularly when he was about ready to push me into somebody. But neither. He had. He would grab it, and I could tell where he was looking. I could also tell where he thought he was going to cut. He, on the other hand, knew what I was thinking, which was he could tell by how low I was getting and by the direction of my face mask what I thought the most immediate threat was and which threat to the ball I was going to take out first. Uh, So we were stacked. We were stuck, right? Well, we uh, had a bunch of other buddies, and uh, during the summer, one of the things that we liked to do was go pool hopping. There were many in Hartford, Connecticut, in the surrounding areas, country clubs. And plenty of country clubs had wonderful, incredible pools, pools that were just inviting for for 16-year-old boys in the summer who had nothing to do. So we had a bunch of us, and we would go pool hopping. And one night, we went to one of the biggest pools in the area. There's probably about 15 of us, and uh, 15, 16-year-olds. And then there was my 12-year-old brother, Pete, following around with us. Uh, we got to this particular party. Uh, we got to this particular pool, and there was a big party going on, a big college party going on, 20-somethings. Um, and then I don't know who did this, this person will rename nameless, but the plan was this. Okay, we can't jump in the pool, but this particular pool was surrounded by apple orchards. And so we decided that we would surround the pool and there were a lot of rotten apples. And on a given signal, we would launch the rotten apples at the, uh, college kids. And so we, Mike took one group, went one way. I took another group, went the other way. We surrounded the pool. The signal was given. Rotten apples were launching through the air. Uh, college kids were screaming and yelling and expressing themselves in all kinds of colorful ways. Uh, and then the chase was on. <laughs> I went one way. Mike and his group went another way. Uh, I got to the safety point, which was a field of tall grass about chest high, uh, and we were bedded down waiting, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. And then some of Mike's groups started straggling in. And we're like, what happened? What happened? You know, and then all of Mike's group came back except Mike and Pete. And they began to tell us the story. They said, well, all the biggest and fastest and most angry boys went after Mike's group. And no one could get Mike because he could outrun everybody. But there was 12-year-old Pudgy Pete. (laughs) And it was real clear that they were going to catch up on Pudgy Pete real quick. And so Mike went back pudgy Pete. Mike got caught with Pete. Now we had a bet. This is the end of the summer. So Mike and I had a bet going over who was going to have the perfect record of not getting caught all year. We were the last two. 
So why did Mike do this? Did he just really like 12-year-old Pete? As much as a boy can like a 12-year-old, a 16-year-old probably. Uh, did he just like not care about his perfect record? I can tell you that to this day, and even 10 years after, we still argue over the technicality of being caught that night. So that wasn't it. Mike went back for one reason. I was his friend. And that was my brother. Friendship is loyal. It sticks closer than a brother. Now, Sam always stuck to Frodo, didn't he? Always. Sam was the true friend. Sam stuck to Frodo all the way to Mordor, all the way to the ends of the world. Sam even stuck to Frodo when Frodo, halfway in the journey, turned against him and became a bad friend. Sam still stuck to him, closer than a brother. Uh, the brutal truth became clear to Harry and Ron and Hermione, right? When Harry, it was learned, was the last Horcrux. So Harry must walk into the dark forest alone, and he must face the Lord of evil, the Lord of terror, uh, the Lord of foulness and darkness. He must face alone Lord Voldemort. Um, it was a certain death sentence. But Harry's sacrifice was the only way he could save his friends. It was the only way that the evil that was growing in the land and threatening and destroying everything that was good was going to get stopped. So for Harry, it was an easy decision. But for his two best friends, it was not. The two best friends pleaded with him not to go. Uh, Ron and Hermione, right? And they said, there's, there's got to be, there must be another way. Or Hermione, knowing she could do nothing to save her friend Harry, knowing she could do nothing to defeat Lord Voldemort, said, Harry, I will go with you. Real friendship is loyal. It's sticky. It sticks closer than a brother. The opposite of being a loyal friend is a fair-weathered friend. Proverbs 19.4. Wealth brings many friends. Wealth brings many friends. Success brings many friends. The approval of others and recognition and financial opportunities brings many friends. Status Getting your preferences and your desires and your standards and your values met brings many friends. People that are like you and don't create problems and affirm your comfort and don't make things difficult bring many friends. But a poor man is deserted by his friends. Proverbs 19, 6 and 7, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend of a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. 
mean, it's hyperbole. It's not like they literally hate him, but they do according to the standards of the commandments of the ten. To not be loyal is to hate your brother. Proverbs 14.20, the poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. So a fair-weathered friend is a friend when there's success and times are good. A fair-weathered friend disappears when success fades. So a fair-weathered friend is not loyal, he's not sticky, because the friendship is all about him or her. Their needs, their desires, their wants, their longings, their preferences, their standards, their belief systems. So how do you become a real friend? How do you become not one of Job's friends? The answer is be a loyal friend. The answer is be a sticky friend. Stick closer than a brother. That's the answer. Notice how Proverbs emphasizes, though, this real friendship in all of these texts. Notice that it's emphasizing real friendship in the context of, in the soil of struggle. In other words, when Proverbs talks about what real friendship is, it doesn't place it on the sunrise. It places it right in the middle of the night and says, do you see that? That's what it looks like in struggle and suffering and in pain and in trouble and adversity because a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Loyalty is made for adversity. It was made for it. So practically speaking, the first mark of friendship, which is loyalty, it's most needed. Loyalty is most needed and most visible in trouble and in pain. Adversity. So loyalty looks like being present in tough times. So that that means is not bailing on someone in tough times. It also means not having to have an answer in tough times, not having to say something in tough times. It means not having to give a discourse on God's sovereignty in tough times. Well, you do know God's in control of this, don't you? Come on! No, loyalty was made for adversity, and it was made to be there. Just be present. Just be relationally engaged. Just stick there. Closer than a brother. Uh, This past Tuesday evening, um, before the men's uh, softball game, I was one of the first on the scene of a failed car accident. It was a young man going about 60, 70 miles an hour, who plowed into the back of a disabled semi uh, that had just pulled off Interstate 35. And it was in this man, this young man's lane, and he didn't see it when he got off the exit. Just went right into it. Took the top of his car right off. Um, 
He was 25 years old. His name is Britton Pythian. He left behind a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. When I got to him, I couldn't help him. I was completely powerless. Not being able to help him has eaten me up for a good many days. Yesterday I was at Britton's funeral and his older brother uh, did something completely shocking, unexpected. In the middle of his talking about his brother, he said, is Jeff Hatton here? And I went, he goes, will you please stand? He goes, friends, this is Jeff Hatton. He was there. He was with my brother. And I can't tell you how much that comforts me. Now, friends, I did absolutely nothing but be there. All I did was mark it by my presence. Mark a life that matters. God comforts others through you being there. Practically, loyalty also looks like standing up for your friends. Gossip, slander, criticalness of others, guess what? It would disappear if we were better friends. It would all go away. Why? Because we wouldn't stand for it. It would be something like this. We'd say, if it was happening in our presence, we'd say, that's my friend. Sarah's my friend. Jim's my friend. If you've got something going on, you go work it out with them. But don't talk about my friend like that. Gossip would go. Slander would go. Criticalness would go. Just like that. So friendship is loyalty. It's sticky. It sticks closer than a brother. And according to the Bible, loyalty is seen most visibly in adversity. Tough, painful, suffering times. So we all know we blow it as friends, though, right? I mean, we're all sitting here going, crud. And don't think because I was there once that I haven't been bailing in other times, because I have. So we all know we blow it as friends. We know we're not always loyal. Sometimes our need for approval makes us fair-weathered friends. Sometimes our need for comfort and our desire to not be uncomfortable makes us fair-weathered friends. Sometimes our desire to have our needs met and our agendas and our preferences makes us fair-weathered friends. Uh, But there is a true friend. 
There is a friend who was and is always loyal. Who sticks closer than a brother. Who loves at all times. Who is born for your adversity. He isn't a fair-weathered friend even though we are. He laid down his life for fair-weathered friends, for failing friends, for friends who can't even lay down their time for a friend or their own agenda for a friend or their own desires for comfort for a friend. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother and his friendship forgives you. And his friendship fulfills you. And his friendship favors you. And his friendship heals you and restores you and puts you back together again and makes you a better friend. There is a friend and he sticks closer than a brother. So real friendship is loyal. Real friendship is sticky. It sticks closer than a brother. Amen.